Hi, and welcome to the Megabyte Monthly Barometer Podcast. I'm Ian Spence, founder and chairman of Megabyte. The idea of this podcast is to give my take on some of the recent trading, transaction and funding news, and to look forward and try and understand what that might all mean for the outlook. Megabyte subscribers can drill into the detail of all of this on our platform, which includes research and data on over 2,000 of the UK's leading TMT companies at megabyte.com. Over the next 20 minutes or so, I will cover three main areas, capital markets, corporate activity and valuations, and the trading outlook. This month, I want to focus also on a few key areas. It's interesting to see the return of the mega deal in Europe. I want to spend a little bit of time talking about how data strategies are playing in M&A and fundraising activity. I want to touch on the UK IPO market, this is something I talked about last month and there's more to say there. And also uh, a point we've talked about a lot in the last few months is resilience in the face of the COVID epidemic in terms of the trading, uh, trading and current outlook. And I'll talk about that again this month, specifically in relation to enterprise software companies, as well as some broader thoughts. So to start off with markets, it's been another very strong month for the capital markets generally and and the technology sector on both sides of the Atlantic in particular. Here in the UK, the Megabyte All Share, which is the index of leading UK listed tech stocks that we track at Megabyte, that was up nearly 9% in August uh, after a rather anemic 1% growth in, in July. That represents a really, really strong performance. And that has meant that average valuations are on the up once again. We've seen uh, another one point increase in the average EV EBITDA multiple for the stocks that we track, the listed stocks that we track, and that's now uh, sitting at just under 18.5 times. In July, we talked about the fact, I talked about the fact that it had been the IT, ICT and digital services companies that had, that had been rather stronger in driving in index performance in the UK uh, tech sector. Actually, it switched around a bit in, in August and the software sector was a little bit stronger. And, and interestingly, we've seen a very strong performance in, um, in in valuations, particularly in the software sector, and average EV EBITDA multiples for the software companies we track at Megabyte, UK listed software companies, is now at 20, 22 times, which is almost exactly where it was at the peak pre-COVID, which I think is a, is a sort of fascinating point, uh, data point. ICT service is also strong though, and the valuations there are up from 12 times to 13 times during August, so strong performance there as well. Overall, a very strong uh, valuation uh, story throughout the sector, which I'll touch on a number of times during this month's podcast. The Nasdaq just keeps uh, just keeps on surging, up another nine point six percent in uh, in August, up to eleven thousand seven hundred seventy five. That's now nearly twenty percent. In fact, it is over twenty percent above the February twenty twenty high uh, of the Nasdaq. Uh, when you think about that, the UK uh, tech sector is still well below its uh, its peak. Uh, that's quite an interesting. Uh, juxtaposition there of the UK performance with the US performance, albeit in the context and overall very strong performance of the tech sector. And just to reference that, the FTSE 250, which we think is a good proxy for the UK uh, economy, uh, was up 5% in August, which in itself is an incredibly strong performance, but still significantly lower than the tech sector. So ongoing outperformance in index performance uh, for the technology sector against even a strong underlying stock market. How has this translated into uh, corporate activity? Well, sticking with the capital markets theme, um, we talked last month about uh, the fact that the the sort of peak of fundraising to support companies through the COVID pandemic had eased 
uh, during July and that trend has continued as we expected in August and uh, there's really only been one very small follow-on fundraising in the London market in in August so that there's that's that's as expected really uh, reduced to a trickle it's possible I suppose we'll see more of those kind of fundraisings return as I said last month as we go through the year and that'll just really depend on what happens with the uh, the trading outlook as we go into the second half of the year and whether we get another lockdown and etc whether some of the businesses that are heavily exposed to covid start to struggle again hopefully not um the the, the bigger theme perhaps uh, a couple of kind of key themes i want to bring out in terms of capital market funding one is a return to in inverted commas normal fundraising patterns what i mean by that is listed companies using the capital markets to fund their growth uh, in this case acquisitive growth in a couple of cases which i'll touch on and also as i promised to i will talk about the uk ipo market which is definitely showing signs of life but just in terms of uh capital markets funding of MA, a couple of interesting stories there during august craneware which many many listeners will know is a very well respected very established and high value uh, software company focused on the healthcare sector based in scotland Craneware got very close to raising 80 million sterling for a uh, for an acquisition in the US, but didn't quite happen. I understand they got pipped to the post for that acquisition, which is a real shame for everyone concerned. But the point remains that that was a very sort of interesting and, as I say, new, normal use of the capital markets to raise money to fund such a deal. And the real biggie was uh, announced uh, during August and will complete presumably over the next few weeks is Aviva's acquisition of OSI Soft. I'll talk about this in the context of mega deals in a minute, but that will be supported if it happens, which it looks like it will, uh, with a three and a half billion sterling rights issue. So a very substantial uh, shot in the arm for the UK quoted tech sector, which is great. Um, Turning then to the IPO market, and uh, it continues to be very strong on uh, the IPO market in the US, continues to be very strong. I talked last month about uh, Duck Creek in the insurance software space coming to the market. That made its debut during August, as well as some other smaller deals. And uh, there is a whole host of businesses coming to the market over the next few weeks and months in the US. Snowflake, Unity, Asana, Palantir, quite controversial, that one interesting as it supplies tech to the U.S. national security market, which is interesting, and also Airbnb, which is uh, going to be very interesting to see how that goes. Uh, a real kind of poster child, obviously, for the digital revolution, but has obviously been impacted, as has the whole industry, by the COVID, uh, the COVID pandemic. So interesting to see how that plays out if that comes to the market as expected. But turning to, to, to the U.K., I talked last month about the IPO of uh, the pending IPO of uh Altran uh, subsidiary Bytes Group here in the UK. Altran is a South African IT conglomerate and is separating and uh, listing uh, its uh, UK subsidiary called Bytes Group in the infrastructure services space. That, as I understand it, is continuing. We've not heard any new news on that. Still some chatter about whether um, whether Dark Trace in the in the cybersecurity sector will come to the market, and if so, whether that will be in London or in the US. But but fresh news really in the UK is the IPO of two businesses in the, what would broadly describe as the digital space, although very different businesses. Couth is a business is a I guess you would describe as a digital platform that connects people with uh, mental health issues wanting support with uh, with those that can provide that support. That is a 66 million uh, market cap business with a 10 million raise, which came to the market this week, and. 
much bigger <laughs> uh, and much more high profile is the Hut Group, which describes itself as an online department store that is coming to the market that put out its intention to float this week with a mooted 4.5 billion sterling valuation. It is raising 920 million of capital. And I thought there was a couple of interesting, couple of interesting things about that deal over and above just the scale of it and the fact that it's coming to the London market. And it's a real, again, shot in the arm for the UK tech sector, albeit kind of digital B2C rather than the, 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 the B2B sort of tech that we tend to focus on at Megabyte. Um, firstly, was that the founder is uh, using quite a lot of the control mechanisms that have become very popular with some of the the, the kind of uh, gorilla stocks, the the the, uh, the the very sexy tech stocks in the Silicon Valley, where they retain control post IPO, which I suppose is inevitability. Really, uh, probably not that welcome from the UK institutional market, but I'm sure it won't be a uh, won't be a too much of a problem for the IPO. And the other thing was really just made me smile was how many banks are on the syndicate for for the Hutt Group. I counted seven, uh, eight if you include the the, the financial advisor as well. Uh, okay, admittedly, nine hundred twenty million is a pretty chunky fundraise. But when you consider that 565 million of that is being provided by four cornerstone investors, uh, so you're looking at a, what, a 350, 400 million pound raise in reality, seven of the world's finest, uh, biggest and finest investment banks aren't really required to raise that kind of money. But, you know, I guess it's all about bragging rights. How many, uh, how many banks can you have on your syndicate? So anyway, I'm splitting hairs. Uh, I think we all hope that IPO goes very well. Uh, and, and the very best of luck to them. And, and, and we very much hope to see that on the market in the near future. Turning away from capital markets then to PE deals, and it's really a continuation here of themes we've been talking about for the last couple of months and a, and a sort of separation, a, a bifurcation, if you like, of what's happening in the mid-market PE land versus the earlier stage market growth capital deals. Growth capital deals continue to be solid. Uh, regular listeners to this podcast will know that that's been a theme really throughout the pandemic so far, that that growth capital deals have been tracking at least as high as they were in the, in the equivalent month in, in last year. And that's been the case in August. We recorded nine growth capital deals on our database in, in August, which was the same number as, as last year. And some interesting trends there I'll touch on in a minute. And the theme within mid-market private equity, which is much more heavily affected by the by the pandemic in terms of deal activity, a gradual return to what we might describe as normal activity. So we recorded three um, mid-market private equity deals, all of them secondary buyouts in August, down from six in uh, in August 2019. And just to quickly touch on those, CSL, uh, I talked about briefly last month, uh, ECI acquiring that business uh, uh, and... Uh, uh, Big Hand, which is a, uh, a, a been a Bridgepoint uh, development capital portfolio business for many years, and they I think have had a couple of run at, runs at, at exiting that in the past, including an IPO attempt a couple of years ago, but have now made a very successful attempt at uh, exiting that business, and it's been a great investment for them. So well done to them. And Citation, which is more of a tech-enabled service business, HG Capital have sold that to KKR. So more more uh, activity in in mid-market private equity, but it is still. Uh, quite slow in terms of announced deals. I promised to talk a little bit about some of the trends in uh, growth capital, and I think um, before I dive into that, it's important for me maybe just to get a little bit, little bit of context, market context. And I'll just spend a couple of minutes talking about our our um, market theory we call generational shift theory. This is something I'm going to be talking a lot more about our, in our um, CEO Summit conference, Decoding the Digital Revolution, in the middle of October. I'll talk a bit more about that at the end. Uh, 
why do I bring, why do I mention that here? Because there are we're seeing a lot of the themes in our generational shift theory coming through in growth capital deals. So let me just talk a little bit about what I mean by our generational shift theory. It's a long conversation, so I will only summarise it. But the, the idea really behind it is that we need to look at what's happening in B2B technology in the context of three waves of technology. The first being uh, the first being uh, mainframe, second being client server, and the era we're in now we call the cloud era. Nothing particularly revolutionary about that theory. What is particularly interesting at the moment is that we've already started, pre-COVID, we were already starting to talk about a, a sort of new phase of the cloud era. So really since the global financial crisis, we've been seeing uh, implementation of cloud technologies, whether it's software technologies in the form of SaaS, um, cloud IT infrastructure, networks across the whole piece, digital transformation from a, um, an IT services perspective. Um, but it's really been about the infrastructure around cloud. What we'd started to see pre-COVID and is now accelerating very rapidly is uh, what we call Chapter 2. So we talk increasingly on this podcast in our research about Chapter 2 businesses. What do we mean by that? This is, the, this is because we, are, we think that the next decade is really going to be about how businesses of all flavours are, are going to be able to uh, capitalise on the infrastructure investments they've made in cloud and various other things in business performance over the next 10 years. And there are a number of different aspects to that, which I won't go into here. And you can hear me talk about at the conference uh, in October if you're able to join us. But looking at growth capital deals, a couple of things I want to bring out. The main one really is around data. And the, the there's been a lot of talk about data over the last 10 years. Obviously, it's not that fashionable to talk about big data anymore. But data as a new uh, driver of technology investment and, and make, optimizing data and monetizing data. Frankly, it's actually there's been a lot of talk and not so much monetizing going on in our view at Megabyte. But we're starting to see that change now and the growth capital investments we're seeing in the more recently are starting to reflect that. And just wanted to mention a couple. So Wejo raised 10 million. Wejo is a really interesting uh, business that uh, is providing um, data based on uh, and, uh, telematics data in the automotive sector. And Infosum, which is a what we might describe as a next generation business providing data into the into the marketing um, segment. Both of those businesses, Infosum raised $15 million. I think I'm right in saying it's its first fundraise. So really interesting, those two kind of of the nine deals uh, we noticed in August, those are two of the most interesting, I think. Also in the data uh, in the data sense, but also touching on cybersecurity and fraud detection and fintech, two of the other mega trends that are obviously continuing and accelerating as a result of the COVID pandemic. One of the things that hasn't been talked about a huge amount, I don't think, is the, the, the sort of the very substantial increase in fraud, online fraud, that I guess goes hand in hand with the increase in step change in, 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 in online purchases during the lockdown, etc. And what we're seeing is, you know, understandably, a whole wave of new technologies that are coming along to combat that. Two businesses worth highlighting, not I have to say with fundraisings in the last uh, in the last month but in the last couple of months Quantex and feature space both of those in my view two of the most interesting b2b technology businesses in the uk right now between them they've raised uh, i think 100 million dollars or thereabouts in the last couple of months Quantex most recently and they provide um, next generation tech to enable financial institutions and other uh, relevant institutions telecoms companies etc public public sector to identify and deal with fraud in real time so I just wanted to bring those out as themes of growth capital deals. Um, 
uh, just to to talk then about M&A and to touch on, move on from private equity, talk about M&A deals. Again, the similar trend. We're seeing uh, we're seeing fewer uh, M&A deals than we were this time last year. We recorded 21 on our database in August against 32 in the same month last year. Um, obviously, the 21 is down not only on last year but last month. But I guess we'd expect it to be down because it's because August is always quiet. So. We, but we are still seeing, uh, we, we still expect very much to see a return to the kind of M&A le- levels that we, we saw pre-COVID in the not too distant future. The thing I particularly want to bring out um, in regard to mega deals is, um, in regard, regard to M&A, sorry, is, are the mega deals. And particularly a couple to bring out. Aviva I talked about briefly when we were talking about capital markets in the context of that being part funded by a rights issue. But just the sheer scale of that deal. So Aviva, as most of you will know, is along with Sage, depending on which day of the week, uh, the largest UK listed uh, software company at just over 8 billion market cap. Both of them at about 8.1 at the moment. Aviva currently trading on 35 times EV EBITDA and acquired OSI Soft for a $5 billion deal. Um, so um, adding at least 50% to the uh, market cap of that business once the deal is done. Acquiring it also um, over uh, at, that, at over 30 times EV EBITDA. So just... I can't think of a more uh, kind of tangible, uh, tangible uh, transaction to underline the resilient, not even the resilience of the tech sector, but the resurgent confidence of the tech sector, both in terms of the scale of the deal and the valuation of the deal. And I think a similar deal, although not in an M&A sense, is the recent, uh, very recent uh, HG Capital and others investing in Visma, which many of you will know is one of the leading enterprise software companies in the world. <coughs> And has completed a deal at $12 billion, which uh, is apparently the largest ever software private equity transaction globally. Um, and that was done at 21 times current year EV EBITDA by our calculation. Again, you know, just underlining the level of confidence in private equity, the level of confidence in these businesses in their future trading outlook, etc. Uh, is really quite striking. Uh, a smaller deal, but still pretty significant in the context of the UK market, is RWS buying SDL. These are two broadly tech and tech-enabled businesses, although there's more software in SDL than there is in RWS. That is a combined business with a two and a half now two and a half billion market cap, with about seven hundred of that coming from SDL. And that was paid. They uh, RWS paid seventeen times for that business for SDL, uh, and a fifty percent premium to the previous day's trading price. So. Pretty punchy deal there as well. Again, a, a key point on on resilience and confidence. So, uh, really interesting to see those mega deals uh, coming through, um, and the valuations thereon. Just you know, we 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 could almost be starting to see, and I think it's probably too early to say this, but we could almost be starting to see a post-COVID valuation inflation era in the UK. We're certainly seeing that in the US, but I think we're also starting now to see that in the Europe now. Interesting, very interesting to see whether that is sustainable, and that's another discussion. Um, more broadly in M&A, some very interesting uh, smaller deals. I thought it was very interesting that Zero talking about next generation or gen- the generational shift. Zero, which is a poster child for for that, uh, in our view, acquiring Waddle, which is taking it into the into uh, much more into the fintech space and connecting Zero customers with the, with banks, which is a really interesting chapter two deal as we would see it. And um, 
at the same time, some you know some chapter one deals or, or even pre-chapter one, pre-cloud deals going on. Redcentric uh, looks like it's going to be the first P2P for a while. That's a UK-listed IT and telecom services business. Um, and that has said it's putting itself up for sale and is likely to get acquired either by trade and Six Degrees has been talked about as a possible buyer or private equity and uh, Macquarie has been highlighted as a possible buyer there. Uh, and I'm sure there are plenty others looking at Redcentric at the moment. So um, M&A really quite uh, quite active, and we expect that to continue to uh, be the case. So just to uh, just to wrap up, just to talk about trading um, uh, and 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 current trading within the sector. A couple of really kind of key things I want to bring out here. I talked at the beginning about talking about enterprise software, which I will talk about, and also uh, the, the the interesting uh, fact that some businesses uh, are now uh, have now estimates in the market above what they were prior to the COVID pandemic, which I think is fascinating. Talk a bit about enterprise software. So when I talked about, when I uh, was talking about uh, trading last month, I talked about quite a bit about the big tech, Amazon, uh, uh, Amazon, Google, uh, Facebook, etc. most of which uh, had very strong results uh, during July, and I talked about those. Having said that, most of those are B2C businesses. More recently, it's been the turn of the B2B guys, particularly in enterprise software, and I'm talking about people like Intuit, Salesforce, Workday, and others. And all of those businesses have knocked out of the park with their trading uh, during the lockdown relative to, uh, to, to, to admittedly reduced expectations. And I think it, really the theme I just want to bring across is A, enterprise software is strong, which actually is perhaps surprising because I would have perhaps thought that trading... Um, uh, you know, if you were one area which might have been weaker during the lockdown would have been enterprise software if people might have deferred spending decisions on that, but apparently not. Um, and it just underlines the, uh, you know, underlines the, the strength more broadly of the B2B, uh, B2B uh, space as well as having talked last month about more B2C. So that's it on enterprise software. Talking about and more broadly about resilience and resurgence in trading, the thing, you know, particularly interesting announcement for me was just this week, actually, was Computer Centre, which put out a, 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 here in the UK, put out a um, put out a, a, a very positive trading update this week. By the way, uh, shout out to uh, Mike Norris, CEO at Computer Centre. I got a notification on LinkedIn this week that he's just made his 36th year of uh, CEO of that business, or I'm not sure he's 36 years as CEO, whether he's been there 36 years. He's certainly been CEO for most of that time. So um, congratulations, Mike. Let's make it the 40. Um, but the, the trading update uh, this week was was very positive. And it's, one, it's, it's a business now, and there will be more, I suspect, that where the broker forecasts are now calling for higher profits than they would have been, than they were calling for prior to the covid uh, pandemic, which I think is really fascinating. So when we've been talking about resilience over the last few months, it's really been about, well, things aren't as bad as we thought they might have been. But in some cases now, what we're seeing is actually things are better than they were were than they were going to be pre-COVID, which I think is pretty, pretty amazing, really, when you think about what's gone on in the world in the last six months. So that's all I wanted to talk about today. I'll just sign off by uh, talking briefly again about our conference and just suggesting that anyone who's interested uh, can uh, can register. Uh, it is happening through the middle of October. It was going to be a, a physical event, but obviously for obvious reasons, it's now a digital event. There are six seminars on Tuesday to Thursday in uh, this middle two weeks of October, starting on the 13th of October. And as I said earlier in the podcast, the theme is around uh, is around decoding the digital revolution, taking this idea that the, that the last six months uh, have massively accelerated uh, digital transformation across 
pretty much all parts of the economy, trying to unpick what that means for really for vendor strategies and investor strategies. So if you're a if you're a technology company, how might you be thinking about what's going on in terms of embedding that into your products and growth strategy? What are the changes happening in the market that might mean you might have to think about your business model? And for investors and advisors, for investors, you know, how am I going to take account of the changes that are coming down the, 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 the pipe in the next five to 10 years and make sure that I embed that into my investment strategy so that I can optimise returns in what is a rapidly changing situation? So hopefully uh, most of you can uh, make one or more of those sessions. You can uh, you can register online by uh, going to megabyte.com forward forward slash CEO dash summit, um, or if not, just contact us on info at megabyte.com and someone will help you. Okay, that's it. That's it for me this month. Uh, thank you very much for listening once again. I will be back uh, again first Friday of October, which will be by then the week before the conference. So I'll give you a bit more of a preview of the conference. But until then, thanks for listening and stay safe.